How good are you remembering things? You've got 30 seconds to memorise what's on the screen. You've got a football, a Mars bar, a rose, an iPad, House of Parliament, a horse, tiger, microphone, beach, McDonald's logo. It should go off automatically after 30 seconds. I'll kind of track it. You've probably played this game before, some of you, so the next screen will have some of them missing. They'll be jumbled up and you've got to try and remember what was there and then tell me which ones are missing. Uh, we'll go to children first. Any children? Hands up. The microphone's missing. The beach is missing. Two out of three, there's one more missing. The horse is missing. Well spotted. Well spotted. Uh, I want to start thinking about memory. It's a strange thing. I tried to look up. Actually, we're not quite sure how memory works we can remember things from years ago but we can forget things that happened just a few moments ago do you how good at you at remembering things what's your earliest memory what's your earliest memory so as interesting as i was thinking about it actually my my first thought was actually my earliest memory was dropping my sister when she was a baby um <laughs> the family joke is that explains a lot about how she turned out but there you go but actually, that's a memory of me remembering my parents telling me that story over and over again. I don't remember doing it. I was probably about three at the time. Um, actually, the only thing I can remember is infant school. So between four and seven, um, birthdays. So the infant school I was at, when it, if, if it was your birthday within a week, one day that week or one afternoon, they would take you off and have a birthday party at school. It was fantastic. I remember those. They were quite good. Uh, for some reason, I remember the playground had concrete pipes in as well. I think I remember it because... It's one of those things only the oldest children could go in. So you had to wait till you were at the top year in the school so for your turn in the concrete pipes. <laughs> no idea why it was such a thing. But because the oldest kids were in there, when it got to your turn, you felt like you had to own them for the, for the time you were in the top year. So earliest memories. But what about 21st of September, just one month ago? What did you have for dinner? I've given you a few seconds. I've had ages. I couldn't remember what I had for dinner on the 21st of September. Memories, strange, isn't it? I can remember things from years ago, but just one month and it's gone. We don't remember everything, but uh, often memories are things that are unusual or they're really important or significant, really beautiful or striking or things that kind of provoke those extreme emotions, really funny or really scary. Um, unfortunately, we don't always remember the things we should. Who's ever been in trouble for forgetting a birthday? Anniversary, it's actually our wedding anniversary day. I did not forget, you'll be glad to hear. Uh, who's forgotten a deadline for homework and got into trouble? Not look at anyone in particular. <laughs> Few people. So we don't remember everything we should. Even those things, we do remember sometimes those things fade and we forget things that we used to remember. And actually I quite like looking at old photos because we do forget things. It's a good way to remember uh, holidays, birthdays, Christmases, those kind of events. Um, sometimes they can be a bit embarrassing. That is me. Not that that's embarrassing, I think. Kind of, you could see what was to come. It was kind of, the potential was there. Uh, sometimes they're a bit embarrassing. They make us wonder why we had that particular haircut or ever chose those clothes. And I can just blame my parents because I was younger then. But we do use other things too. We use photos and videos, but we use diaries, calendars, school planners, because we know there are certain things we should try and remember. 
Jonathan gave you some information at the start of the service. I asked him to only say it once to test who's... I mean, the memory game is... It's okay, it's a little bit of a challenge. This is more of a challenge. Something was said once at the start of the service. If you can remember the object and where it is, you can go and collect it and you will find a... Ah, ah, You've got a title, not both of you. What is it and where do you think it is? Go for it. It is, as two of you did it, there are two in there, thankfully. So if you go really carefully and bring it back. I'm really impressed, I didn't think anyone would remember. I made sure Jonathan only said it once and didn't make a big thing of it. So it's a strange thing, and sometimes we forget things even when we want to remember them. And reading this passage, it struck me this can be true of us as Christians. I've been a Christian for a long time now, and as the kind of longer we're Christians, sometimes we forget what we used to be like. And actually that starts to make our transformation seem less miraculous. And we become used to who we are now and think this is what we've always been like. We become forgetful Christians. I think there's some real dangers to being a forgetful Christian. I think we forget to thank God. If you save the prize, there are two in there, save it for later, well remembered. We, we forget to thank God because we mistakenly think this is how I've always been. I've always been good. I've always been a Christian. I've always known God. Um, something should have happened, not two. We become complacent. We stop worrying about sin and we stop trying to be more like Jesus. Or instead of praising God, we praise ourselves. Actually, we think our works deserve reward and we think we're somehow better than other people and we've got everything sorted. We become a bit arrogant as Christians and another danger is that instead of giving God the glory we take the glory for ourselves or seek it for ourselves we show off our goodness and our bible knowledge and we'll make sure everyone knows just how godly we really are and we become a bit proud I wonder if those are some of the things Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus and us through God's word, to remind them of some very important things. He writes a before and after description of all Christians. He wants to remind them of what they used to be like, in case they're forgetting. He wants them to remind them of what they've become and how that transformation is only possible because God has resurrected them, and you if you're Christian, with Christ. They're not very good at remembering, I don't think, the guys in Ephesus. Because interesting, when um, Jesus wrote a letter to that church through John, what we call Revelation, it seems they hadn't learned their lesson. They had to be reminded again. They'd abandoned their first love. They're being told to remember. Do the works you did at first. So even then, they're having to be reminded you need to remember things. They sound like a church that kept forgetting the important things. So we've got Paul's letter and we've got the whole of God's words, hopefully so that we don't become like those guys in Ephesus. We don't become forgetful Christians. We don't remember these, we don't forget these really important things that God wants to remind us of. So it's a before and after description. So here's a before and after. I did, I pull an email out to the guys on the core team and asked for them to send me a photo of themselves as a baby and an adult to do this, but 
And she only had one response. I'm not going to suggest why they were reluctant to send baby photos. You can work a guess up for yourself. So I had to go with some celebrities. Um, should be reasonably straightforward. Only two male, two female. Anyone want to have a go if they can match up any of the celebrities with their baby photo? Yes. Oh, Gary Barlow is not number four. Gary that kind of narrows it right down. <laughs> Everybody else want to have a go? Is, is number four Zac Efron? Zac Efron, well done. So it means uh, Gary Barlow is, in fact, number one. So we've got two females left. Rihanna, Beyonce, two or three. Which way round do you think it is? Is Beyonce number three? Is Beyonce number three? Let me check. No. <laughs> No, so Beyonce must be number two. Number two, well done. So Rihanna is number three. Before and after, people who've changed as they've matured and got older. I quite like reading Paul. Paul gets straight to the point and he does that in this letter as well. Um, not overly sensitive or pastoral. He started the letter with praising God and then he prayed for the church in Ephesus. And that prayer ends with a description of God's power demonstrated through the resurrection, ascension and rule of Jesus. The next section starts with, as for you, it's the kind of sentence where you suspect nothing good is coming. A bit like uh, Liverpool are a great attacking team, we're exciting to watch, as for Man United. <laughs> the other Liverpool fan in the room, can they? <laughs> or your sister always does her homework and helps around the house, as for you. It's a comparison Paul is making, and it's pretty brutal, I think. Uh, He wants to remind the Ephesians and us what they were like before. Pretty brutal. They were rebels. Rebels, living a life in rebellion against God, a life of sin. They were slaves, captive to the influence of the world, the devil, and their own desires. They were condemned. Deserving God's judgment and punishment. They were dead. Uh, You might be sat here thinking, well, that doesn't sound like me. Paul wants to make sure we all understand that applies to all of us. All of us. None of us are exempt from that assessment. If you are a Christian, it's always weird, PowerPoint, when you do transfer from one computer to another. If you are a Christian... That's what you used to be like. If you're not a Christian, that's what you're still like. That's how God has assessed you and how he describes your status. Is that how you remember your life before you became a Christian? I think it's helpful for those of us who are Christians to remember this, where we came from, what we once were. I think it's also really helpful for us to remember that's a true description of every non-Christian we know, whether they're somebody in your family, whether your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, your schoolmates. That's God's assessment of them, what they're still like. So when you see non-Christians, when you meet with them, talk to them, do you have that in the back of your mind, that that's how God sees them? So it's dead, and they're not like zombies, the walking dead. Spiritually dead, in spiritual death because of their rebellion, they're in slavery and they're condemned. And I think if, if we kept this in mind more, 
it would give much greater urgency to our evangelism and mission. If we remember all those people who are not Christians are rebels, slaves, condemned and dead. Uh, I've got another game for you. Would you rather? We'll just do a show of hands. So, um, Who would rather have chocolate compared to fruit? Who'd rather have fruit? few people, that's okay. Uh, who prefers to play in the snow compared to going lying on a sunny beach or playing on a sunny beach? Who prefers playing in the snow? A few people. Who prefers the sunny beach? More people. Who prefers playing sports compared to watching YouTube? Who prefers playing sport, being active? Who prefers sitting around watching videos, maybe? A few people. Who prefer to live in a mud hut? Compared to Buckingham Palace, who would prefer the mud huts? <laughs> okay. Who would prefer to live in Buckingham Palace? Okay. Who would prefer to be a rebel compared to being a citizen, a member of a community? Who would prefer to be the rebel? <laughs> who wants to be kind of a citizen, a member of a community, rather than rebelling against it? Would you rather be slave-free? Who would rather be a slave? Good. Who'd rather be free, condemned or forgiven? Who'd rather be condemned? Who'd rather be forgiven? Dead or alive? Who'd rather be dead? <laughs> Who'd rather be alive? Okay. So Paul didn't stop, stop with the hard-hitting before description. He did the after-description as well. So we have the after description, those, some of those things thought about, hey, would you rather Paul actually says that option is available. And if you're a Christian, you've taken that option. So instead of being rebels, we're citizens of heaven. Verse 6. We might not feel that now, uh, but that is our status. We're citizens of heaven. We will uh, reign with Christ. So we're not slaves, we're free. Free to obey God. It says in verse 10, created for the good works God has prepared for us. We have that freedom to obey God. Instead of being condemned, we're forgiven. We're saved. Verse 5. Rather than being dead, we're alive. We've been resurrected, it says in verse 6, with Christ. Made alive. I think if you kind of put those things alongside each other, if you're a Christian... That should fill your heart with joy and thankfulness. That memory of what we once were compared to what we now are. What we were, but not we now are. Should make us want to praise God. Kind of tempting to just stop and do some more worship and praise God. Again, does it kind of motivate your evangelism? Do you want to tell the non-Christians you know what a loving and gracious God we worship? When you compare those things, it's like comparing a mud hut with Buckingham Palace. They're pretty much opposites, absolute ends of the spectrum. The transformation of Christians is full and complete. As it says in verse 10, we become a new creation. And we read elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the truth of what it means to be a Christian, to be recreated, to be made absolutely new and different. It's a dramatic 
transformation. What we've become is entirely different to what we were. A little bit like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Who, who knows how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly? few people, brilliant. Do you think they, um, so those who don't know, do you think they kind of look around, they, caterpillars, they see butterflies and think, oh, they're kind of uh, prettier than me. They can fly, I can't fly. I want to be one of those. So they just stay where they are, concentrate really hard. I want to be a butterfly. I want to be a butterfly until it happens. Or do they just keep wishing for it and it just happens? Or maybe they go to how to be a butterfly class and they learn how to be a butterfly. It's ridiculous, isn't it? That's not how it happens. It takes something beyond their control. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it? I actually, I learned something new. I didn't realise the caterpillar basically digests itself. The digestive enzymes turn it into a goo, which then after that somehow comes a butterfly. It's as if it dies. And then a new life is born and comes out. I think it's an amazing picture. I, I personally think God has given that as a picture of that transformation we undergo as Christians. We see t- a glimpse of it in nature, that massive dramatic transformation where something dies and then a new thing is born. So uh, if we were rebel slaves, condemned and dead, how is it possible that those of us who are Christians can now say we are free and forgiven citizens of heaven who have been made alive? How is that possible? We saw how it happens for the caterpillar to the butterfly. What about Christians? I think these are two of the most glorious words in the Bible, just two words, but they carry so much meaning behind them, so much weight. But God... God. Each of those changes in who we are in our status is because of God. We were rebels, but God made us citizens of heaven. We were slaves, but God set us free to obey him. We were condemned, but God saved us. We were dead, but God resurrected us with Christ and now we are alive. It is a miraculous transformation it is all of God I hope I'm not going to upset anyone and hurt your sensitivities but it's nothing to do with you (laughs) there's nothing particularly attractive about you special about you if you're a Christian why God transformed you and changed you it's all because of who he is and what he does it reveals his character and nature every time he saves someone it's because of who he is it tells us a great deal about God's character in this passage. Why have we been made citizens of heaven? Because it demonstrates God's grace and kindness in verse 7. Why have we been set free to obey God? Uh, it's what he planned from the beginning. It's what he prepared for us in verse 10. Why have we been saved? Because God is gracious and gives us what we do not deserve or have not earned. Verses 5 and 8 to 9. Why have we been resurrected with Christ and made alive? Because of God's love and mercy and because God is the source of life. He's the creator. It's his nature to give life. So every time a miracle happens and another person is resurrected with Christ, becomes a Christian, it is because of who God is and reveals his character, loving, kind, merciful, sovereign and gracious. 
uh, phrase often used of Christians with trophies of God's grace. He's just displaying who he is and how gracious and loving he is by saving us. And actually, it's just God's way of making us like Jesus. We become like Jesus and share his inheritance. We have a change of identity. We're citizens of heaven, not rebels, just like Jesus. Change of purpose. We're free to do good works rather than be slaves to sin, like Jesus did. We have a change of master. We can obey God rather than the world, Satan and our own desires, like Jesus did. We have a change of destination. We will one day live fully with Jesus rather than be condemned to hell and separation from God. We have a change of status. We are no longer dead. We have been resurrected with and like Jesus. We are alive. Uh, So we played earlier, Would You Rather? Uh, If you're here and you're not a Christian, that before description still applies to you. But I would suggest God is holding out to you today that free gift of faith and salvation. Uh, He's saying through the words of this passage, you too can be resurrected with Christ. Uh, Maybe something has stopped you making that step, taking that step of faith in the past because you don't feel worthy or good enough already. And I hope you kind of realise none of us are ever going to be good enough already for God. We all, even those of us who are Christians, were once like that. And then we have those two words again. You're not good enough for God, but God offers this to you, despite who you are, because he is loving, kind, merciful, sovereign and gracious. So the only question you have to answer is not, are you ready, are you good enough, but will you accept what God is offering? Will you accept what God is offering? Like we saw the caterpillar and butterfly, today could be the day you are transformed miraculously and share in the joy of being resurrected with Christ. So if you're not a Christian, that's how I think you should be responding to this passage. For those of us who are Christians, how should we respond? Remember, it's kind of what Paul has been saying to them, don't forget what you were like, this is what you've become and it's because of God. Remember these things. So he talks about memory and remembering important things and we have this letter and the rest of God's word to remind us of these important truths. So I'd encourage you to remind yourself who you were, what you have become and how God did it for you. Because if our memories fade as Christians, we risk becoming complacent, arrogant or proud. And people often say you should preach the gospel to yourself. And if you don't quite know what that means, you never quite worked out, this is what it means. Just keep telling yourself, this is what I was like, this is what, who I am now, and it's because God has done this for me. So if you're not sure what to do, read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, every day. <laughs> preach the gospel to yourself. Then you won't forget it. And you won't forget how gracious and loving God is. And I think as we remember these things, it should cause us to praise God. Just for who he is just for who he is glorify him for what he's done should motivate and energize our evangelism telling non-christians about jesus can feel difficult at times can feel a little bit painful particularly i know the people in my family are not christians and family seems to be the one where it's hardest but actually if we keep that picture in mind of what they are how god judges them we can cross that pain barrier there can be enough motivation to cross that and actually to tell them how they can be resurrected with Christ. So we have a new identity, purpose, master, destination and status. So the final thing, actually we should live as if that's true. 
live as if it's true. It says in verse 10, those people who are in that before description, still dead, live a life of sin and rebellion. But those of us who are resurrected with Christ, verse 10 said we've been made alive for good works that God has prepared already for us. So the truth of who we are and what we believe should be seen in how we live. If we're still living a life of sin and rebellion, we're living as if we're still in that before stage. Let's live as people who are resurrected with Christ. So don't be forgetful, Christians. Don't forget what you once were and how you've been resurrected with Christ. Tell others what God has done for you and how they too can be transformed. Pour out praise to God. Live as a new creation. And in everything you do, give God the glory. Amen.